Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to the rave this morning. Bethany and I were recently in Las Vegas, and we went to the Fremont Street experience at like 10.30 at night. Debauchery. I, was, I looked over at her, and uh, I said, babe, this is your heaven, and this is my hell. Because there were so many crazy things happening. I looked over, there was like a a person in a circle dancing, and there was a guy with a snake, and magicians were there, and people were flying over our heads on zip lines. And then at one point, they started playing Steve Aoki or Ioki, whatever that DJ, his music, and it was like blaring loud, and you couldn't hear. And I thought I was going to get stabbed, and looked over <laughs> at my wife as the zip liners came by, and she had this huge grin on her face. And uh, if you know both of us, then you know what that was like. So we're just bringing a little of that action here this morning, just getting a little crazy. Uh, I'm so excited to. Uh, be with you guys this morning, and, and I'm, I'm so excited about the series that we're in, and this message today particularly, I really believe God's going to do a new and a fresh thing in your life, and whether that is uh, you just showed up at Joy Church today for the first time, and maybe you aren't even a Christian, but you're exploring and looking for faith or answers or whatever that may be, or whether you've been here uh, since the beginning or been a Christian for 25 years or whatever, God can do something fresh in your life. We're talking about the outpouring and the of the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to give us power to be who He's called us to be and do what He's called us to do. But uh, I want to give a little introduction on the series that we're in called Peculiar People, and we're talking about being uh, men and women of God, followers of Christ that stand out in a world of people that are blending in or seeking to blend in. Now, I know it's probably not your desire to ever be known as kind of a religious wacko or a weirdo. Like, I never want to be known as that, and unfortunately now I am. I'm a Jesus freak, um, but the reality is when you are a follower of Jesus, you fulfill that prophecy that he gave, or you fulfill those words that he gave where he said, you're a city on a hill, cannot be hidden. You're a light that shines in the darkness. And so Jesus himself has pushed you out. When you put your faith in Christ, you say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. He pushes you out as the church, pushes you out as part of his, his community to make a difference in the world around us, right? Make a difference in the world. So we're called to be different than the world around us. One of the problems that people have, I think, with Christianity many times is they'll say, well, I, I think Christians are hypocrites. The problem with that statement is that it's correct. Because I say, you're right. You're absolutely right. A lot of Christians are hypocrites, including me. But a lot of people who aren't Christians are hypocrites too. Hypocrite, being a hypocrite means being two-faced. A lot of times when we don't live consistently with our values or our morals or our stated aims, the problem is when you're a Christian, you sort of put on this armor of like, well, now I'm a Christian and people have this expectation of you, right? But the reality is in that charge, there should be something that we as followers of Jesus actually listen and with humility receive and say, you know what? I want to be more like Jesus and I want to be more filled with this Holy Spirit and I want to be a better witness around me, not for moralism's sake or to, be, to make God love you. No, no, no. But to actually accomplish what he's called us to be as the church. And so we're called to stand out. We're called to be these peculiar people. And what we're doing in this series is we're actually going through a book of the Bible. It's called the Book of Acts. And uh, the Book of Acts is, is, a, is the second part of a two-book compendium. I just wanted to use that word today. <laughs> and uh, it's written by a man named Luke. And Luke wrote the Gospel of, wait for it, Luke. And uh, Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. And there are two parts and in the book of Luke, he's talking about what Jesus did and the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And then in the book of Acts, he's talking about the aftermath and the birth of the church and sort of what happens in the world as a result of Jesus coming and dying for our sins and, and raising from the dead. But what's so cool about the book of Acts is that we are still a part of this story as the church today. We are still living in the age of the Holy Spirit, the age of the church, even 2,000 years later, and you and I get to be a part of this story. So we're going to dive in in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke wrote the book of Acts and Luke to a person called Theophilus. It means beloved of God or friend of God. He says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Why does Luke say what Jesus began to do and teach? Because it's not finished. It's still going on. Did Jesus finish the work that he came to accomplish? Yes, that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. He paid for our sins. But that's the beginning of the story, not the end of the story. And so what Luke is explaining here is he's saying, look, 
What you're going to find in the book of Acts is the, the, what happens, the results and what's taking place. This is what Jesus started to do, but now this is what he's going to continue to do through his people. And by extension, this is right for you and I today. Luke tells us about the ministry of Jesus is what he started to do. And the book of Acts and our part is what he's doing now in the world. And it says after he began to explain that until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. This is important because the, the Christian faith, it hinges upon, it is anchored on the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus wanted his apostles to know, hey, I'm actually alive, right? Which is why Thomas was like, I don't believe it. Therefore, for all time, being known as Doubting Thomas. I'm sure he was a good guy, right? But now he's Doubting Thomas. And that should prove to you, just you have to pick and choose your times when you're going to have doubt. Otherwise, you might forever be, and, and, and be known. Oh, you know, that's Doubting Todd. You know what I mean? Doubting Todd. No, he's not. Um, but Thomas was like, I don't know, guys, if Jesus is really here. And then Jesus appeared and he said, hey, touch me. Put your hand on my wound. And he's like, that's gross. Germaphobes would be, oh, I don't think so. You know? Uh, touch my, my hands, feel the scars where the nail, nail holes were. And Jesus proved to them that he was actually alive because the resurrection is what our faith is all about. So that was important, okay? It is important. And it says also that Jesus talked to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what is happening, uh, what God is up to on this planet. There is a battle, a cosmic struggle between good and evil, and it's the battle of the kingdoms of this world. And the forces of evil and darkness and the, and the kingdom of God where every tear is wiped away and every sickness is healed and every uh, person is loved and received. And you, you with me? Where God gets what God wants is his kingdom. Jesus inaugurated that, brought it in and invited people to join God's kingdom. And so this is important stuff. And I talked about that last week if you want to go back on the video and, and learn a little bit more about that. But today we're going to go to this third piece uh, and talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says, in verse four of, Luke, of Acts chapter one, once when he, this is Jesus, was eating with them, being his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Now, Jesus, like any good leader or a good parent, someone who's discipling someone, remember, knows this, you have to remind your kids about things a lot. How many of you taught your kids how to brush their teeth and take care of their bathroom business just once, and then they forever did it perfectly well for all time. I will, <laughs> no, no. Every night we have basically World War III, four, five, six, seven, and it's always the battle of brushing your teeth. It's like our kids want their teeth to fall out. You know what I mean? And like you get, you get, I love how you have baby teeth and adult teeth. It's like you get one do-over. You know what I mean? <laughs> I totally screwed it up, but now I have adult teeth. Uh, anyways, and then when you're like really ancient, then you can get dentures. And that's cool too. It's like a third try. You know what I mean? When I have that, get to have that experience, I'm going to go full gold. So I'll be up here like, welcome to Joy Church. Ding! <laughs> or platinum or silver. We'll figure it out. But Jesus reminds them, he says, I, don't leave Jerusalem. You need to stick around here. You need to hang out because the father wants to give you a gift as I told you before, because Jesus had been talking about this gift of the Father for his entire ministry. He'd been telling his guys, look, it's good if I go. It's good uh, that, because if I go, then the, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will come. If I, if I go, uh, you're grieved about this, but if I go, he's going to come. And, and there was something here, some meaning here. And so he's saying, remember, I told you about this gift. And then he kind of gives us some clarity he tells them in verse five, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't know what this meant, maybe in, as much as we don't know what it means, but to kind of get an idea here, what Jesus is doing is prepping them for this gift that's coming, this gift that God is going to give them or the Father is going to give them. But he tells them not to leave. Now, how many of you would say like, on the surface, if God wants to give me a present, I want it right? I, I want it. Like, God wants to give you a gift. I'm in. You know, maybe you don't need a ton of explanation. It's like, if God himself wants to give you something, we'll take it. And so he, they have to wait for it, though. He tells them to, to linger and to wait. I love getting presents, right? I'm a full-grown man. My mom still buys me presents at Christmas, but I also buy myself presents, right? Um, 
I feel bad because Bethany now is like, well, you didn't tell me what you wanted for Christmas. Like I have to, because she's so, I've conditioned the whole thing. Like I, I pick all my presents, but I buy myself presents all the time. How many of you do this? My goodness, how excited are you when Amazon comes? <laughs> it's just toilet paper, but it's still exciting. You know what I mean? What's inside? Maybe they put a goodie in there. I used to buy musical gear from a company called Sweetwater and they'd always put candy in the packages. You know what I mean? So you're like, all I'm getting is some, you know, auxiliary cables, but there's also sweet tarts. So it's a, it's a bonus. But one of the things that happens, like my least favorite thing in life is when you get home and there's one of those stickers on your door. Oh man, start kicking things in the yard because I'm so angry. I missed it, right? Whatever was coming, maybe it was just toilet paper or whatever, but hey, that's important. We want that. Uh, maybe it was uh, some kind of a, a book or something, but I, I don't like missing the gift. And so I'm actually kind of crazy about this. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell, if I'm not home or whatever, I'll be like, hey, babe, can you have your sister come and just like camp in front of our house to make sure that when FedEx comes, how many of you else are OCD like this? You know, I hate it. And the guy that lived in our house before us, he gave UPS and FedEx all these weird stipulations where they can't drop packages off at certain times or on our doorstep. And we've tried to tell them, you can drop anything off at any time. We always want it, but they don't. And so they actually just put packages in random places. So we have to go search around our house. It's like Easter egg hunt every day. I found the UPS. It's on the roof this time. You know, Literally, we, they put stuff behind our garbage cans. I'm like, why is that safe? You take a cardboard box that kind of looks like garbage, usually how they treat it in the truck, and you put it behind the garbage cans, I bet we've thrown away really awesome presents that you guys have bought for us, so you should send them again. But anyways, I don't want to miss it. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus tells his guys, don't leave. Like, you need to stay. You need to wait because the Father's gift is coming to you. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. Jesus says, wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father. This is the gift of the Father. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. How many of you are like, I need some of that power from heaven? That sounds good. Come on, that's like a little bit better than like KFC power or Taco Bell power. We're talking about power from heaven. That's even better than the Golden Arches power. Come on, this is something legit. This is real. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pastor Matt Chandler says it about this verse. He says, we have the whole book of Acts kind of summarized right here. In this one verse, we have the power, we have the purpose, and we have the plan, okay? We have the power, we have the purpose, and the plan. Why does the Holy Spirit come? What is the power of the Holy Spirit for? It is for the proclamation of the gospel. That is the primary function of the, the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit today. We're talking about power. But what's interesting is a lot of Christians are very content to go without the power of the Holy Spirit. And why would we be content to go if we don't have that power that Jesus promised? You with me? Just hang on for a second, okay? Why would we be content to go when we should stay and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the enabling thing that allows us to do this plan and accomplish this purpose to go into all the world? And, and, and what I'm excited about is that these disciples, they listened to Jesus and they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because you and I are the benefactors, the beneficiaries officiaries of this reality that they went to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the outermost parts, the ends of the earth, which is where we are today, okay? They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the gospel. So I think one of the greatest mistakes that we can make as Christians is attempting to live a godly or a God-centered or a God-purposed life without the Spirit of God empowering us to do it, okay? I think in our culture, and it's partially a good thing and it's partially a negative thing. And I'll explain this in depth a little bit more, but in our Western world, we are hyper intellectual and we tend to create a false uh, dichotomy between ration, rationality and reason. And we look at, we say, well, there's, there's rational and then there's irrational. 
Well, actually, no, there's rational and there is irrational, but there's a third category, non-rational, okay, which is not irrational, it's different, okay? So the use of reason and intellect and all of this to encounter and experience and interact with God is a part of the Christian faith. Jesus himself said, God is spirit and he's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have elevated truth, though, to the highest point where we've taken, uh, you know, um, when I say truth, I don't mean that we should highlight lies. I'm not making that distinction. What I'm saying, though, is we've made the intellectual side of Christianity, that is the creedal, reading the word, what does the Bible say, this side of it, we've elevated that and we've sort of ignored the non-rational or the spirit side of it. And we've lost our power, which is why we see 85% of churches in North America stagnant or in decline an increasing gap and of, of secularism. Because let me just tell you, um, getting a hamburger with no beef inside is not good. There is a form of godliness, but no power. And it's easy to reject a powerless Christianity. It's so easy to go, well, you throw your truth up here. You throw your theology, your doctrine up here, and we'll compare it to this thing over here. Let's look at all these comparative religions. Look at Christianity has its doctrine and Islam has its, and we have secular naturalism and relativism and oh, pure hedonism sounds good. Like that one actually I would vote for if I wasn't a Christian, right? Just do whatever makes you feel happy. Um, but if we're just comparing it like that, then, then it's an even fight. But if you look at the real Christianity, the ancient Christianity, the Christianity that we see right here in the book of Acts, it's truth and it's spirit. It's reasonable. And there's the intellectual side, but there's also the spirit side, the, the mystical, even the power side. I'm talking about miracles. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit working. I'm talking about prophecy. I'm talking about this kind of power that we see in the book of Acts. And I'm telling you right now, God wants a powerful church, a church that is armed and dangerous not to hurt, but to heal, to bring life and to proclaim the destiny, the prophetic destiny that God has for this city, this community, this church, but it requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the greatest mistakes that Christians make is saying, oh, I got it. I learned it. I got the information and now I can go. And Jesus said, you got the information, but you need to stay until you get the power because it's in that pairing of the information and the impartation where the power of the gospel and the power of the Christian faith is seen and realized. J.B. Phillips writes this, the great difference, that was a weak clap. Not for me, but we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's better. You're not clapping for me. You're clapping for the truth of what I said. The information and the impartation. It's not enough to have one or the other. You get just, oh, I'm just a Holy Spirit person. Doctrine doesn't matter. You're wrong. You are wrong. A lot of people are like, well, the Jesus I know. Well, what do you mean? Like, is that like a different one than the rest of us? You know what I mean? <laughs> My Holy Spirit says this. That's creative and that's not in the Bible. There's one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. One. Okay, you need to have both sides. J.B. Phillips writes this. He says, the great difference between present day Christianity and that of which we read in these letters, the New Testament epistles, is that to us it is primarily a performance, but to them it was a real experience. We are apt to reduce the Christian religion to a code or at best a rule of heart and life. To these men, it is quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life together. They do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. You see, a Christian faith that is not empowered and dynamic and, and electric with the power of the Holy Spirit is just a form. It's, it's like the hamburger without the meat, you know what I mean? And if you're a vegan without the, you know, um, uh, soy abomination that goes in the middle, I don't know what it is. How many, you can offend people so easily in a sermon. I mean, it's just, it's just too easy up here for me, but sorry, vegans. I mean, it's, that's good too, I guess. Okay. People that don't have the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that form of Christianity is really lacking the dynamic part of it, okay? It's so important. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you would say, I want a closer walk with God? I want a relationship with the Holy Spirit where I hear him and I'm being directed in each moment of my life. 
You hear stories about this. People are like, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, and I went and did that, and this happened, and there was this miracle, and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Well, that could be our portion. That's not the portion of a pastor. That's the portion of a believer. That's the portion of somebody who's waited and been empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to defeat sin in your life and live pure and holy before God? Any sinners in here? Even, even what, You're a sinner even after you gave your life to Jesus? Yeah, welcome to the club. We still struggle with sin. How many of you, though, would say, man, I think I could like, want some more firepower to get rid of some of this stuff and break some of these chains off my life? Come on. And how many of you think that's good that Christians would actually cry out for being holy? I'm just going to, this isn't the point of this message, but I'm going to take a tiny little rabbit trail. We have this new gospel, which is a, a little bit of a leaven that's getting into our loaf in the United States of America, which is more like moralistic therapeutic deism, which says any kind of gospel that doesn't make you feel better about whatever screwed up mess is going on in your head, right? Uh, like anything that makes you feel bad, like you, oh, you said sin, that means people actually do things that are wrong? Absolutely. Do you realize how weak and powerless grace is if there isn't such a thing as real sin? I'm just going to tell you right now, there are things that I have done and things that I have thought about and things that I've acted out upon that are not, they're not, oh, I'm just, it's poor, poor me. No, it's evil. It's darkness. It's sin. But thank God that Jesus actually died on the cross and paid for those sins. And actually there's a power of the Holy Spirit to war against those. And even the battle that's raging inside of me, we could actually win that battle sometimes. How about that? Cash me outside. How about that? How many of you want to share your faith? How many of you want to see people come to Christ? How many of you have ever had this experience where you're standing somewhere and somebody's talking and you can feel this is a holy moment. It's a divine thing. It's a divine encounter. Like I'm talking to this person and they're starting to open up to me or whatever. And then, you know, this is like the time. This is it. It's here. Like right now, this is my time to shine. Like I'm on American Idol and they put the mic in my hand. You know what I mean? And you're up there in the lights and you chicken out and you run away. And I've done it, Right. But how many of you in that moment, what would it be like if instead of that, all of a sudden there was a, a Holy Spirit boldness that rose up in you and you said, look, this might sound a little strange, but I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about the power of the gospel. I want to explain to you what he's done for me. How many of you would like to have that experience as a follower of Christ? To lead somebody to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Our church will never inherit the destiny that we have if all we do is just invite people to church. What you need to do is get filled up with the Holy Spirit, empowered, equipped here in this environment, and then go out and be the church in the world. And all of us need to be carriers of the kingdom and carriers of the gospel and leading people to Jesus. That is the, the, the overarching plan and, and DNA of our church. Our church is about, yeah, we want to have great Sundays and see people give their life to Jesus on Sundays. That should be like the cherry on top of the Sunday though, right? The, the cherry on top, the real meat of it, the real thing of it should be all of us Christians out in the world around us always leading people to Jesus. So how many of you want to lead somebody to Jesus? Absolutely. But here's the thing. We've bought into this myth or this lie, I would even say, that we're not qualified, that we need more information. I need to hear more of Pastor Jake's sermons. I need to go to more joy groups. I need to go through Next Track three or four more times and then maybe in seven or eight or 10 years after I've heard another sermon, all of a sudden it will click and I'll have all the information I need. And now I'll be ready to be an empowered Christian. Now I will be ready to disciple someone. Now I will be ready to share my faith. Now I will be ready. Once I get to whatever this elusive standard of education is or Christian maturity that we have artificially put over, over on top of the scriptures. And here's the reality, guys. You don't need more training. You need power. You don't need more training. If you've heard me speak about six to eight times, you pretty much have it. Now, am I saying you shouldn't get more education? You shouldn't read your book? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not discounting education. I, I love education. I'm glad I went to Bible college. I'm glad that I always pursue learning, continue to read, continue to grow. Our faith is that creedal, that intellectual side. I read really old books by old dead British guys. I guess they're not old anymore. They're just dead British guys. To, to learn and continue to develop that side. But I'm just telling you right now, I, I, my lack of results in my faith is not because of a lack of training. It's a lack of power. Let me give you an example. If, if you were to get me with all the world's greatest football coaches, you put, you know, uh, coach Bill Belichick and, uh, you know, his expertise in cheating. And then, um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know what I mean? You put 
uh, Chip Kelly and his spread offensive mind, and you, you got me with um, Mark Helfrich so I could learn how to take an amazing team and just destroy it into the ground, and I'm just having fun. You put all the greatest coaches, Coach Cristobal's ability to motivate, and these men and these people, they taught me everything I need to know. Here's how you block. Here's how you tackle. Here's how you run. This is how you run a route. This is how you do it. And they loaded me with such information, so I walked out on that field as the greatest football mind that had ever existed. You put me for two minutes on the field with the Oregon Ducks players, and I hope to God some of you are filled with the Holy Spirit because you're going to have to raise me from the dead. <laughs> because it's not an issue of information, it's an issue of power. At some level, it doesn't matter how much you know about playing football, you got to be a big old boy. That's why they say in football that it's not about X's and O's, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's. Have you seen some of these guys we're recruiting now? They're like six, seven, 350 pounds. Those, I don't want to even, I don't even want to go to Autzen Stadium. I'm so scared <laughs> that I might accidentally fall on the field and get run over. Like this is not an issue of information. It's an issue of power. And so, so many of you as Christians, you have all the information you need to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness, but you might need power. You might need to put the meat inside of that bun. You go, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the power of the baptism, the, of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus talked about, the Father's gift to us. Now, Jesus talked about this a lot. When you go back into the Gospels, listen to what he said in John chapter 16, verse 5. He says, now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. In other words, they're like, well, we're sad that you're leaving. They're not interested in the purpose or the plan. It's like, we're just sad you're leaving, but Jesus goes on. He says something amazing. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. What is the advocate? The advocate is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So in what universe do we as Christians or disciples say, less Jesus is better than more Jesus? We would think, always the opposite. Like, no, if Jesus were physically here, that would be better. But Jesus knew that wouldn't be better. And here's why. Because when he was on this planet 2,000 years ago, he was physically limited to a particular geography. And, and he couldn't be in Israel and also be in Italy and also be in Spain, also be in the United States. You know, he couldn't do that. Uh, he was limited. But when he left and he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, his spirit does not play by the laws of physics and can be in all places at all times and with every believer. So Jesus is saying, it's actually good that I go because now everybody can have the Holy Spirit and can have them, have him uh, with, with, with them at all times. In John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Why does he say another advocate? Because at that time, Jesus was the carrier of the Holy Spirit. In this moment, that Jesus was the advocate that they had. Um, he was their counselor. He was their friend. He was with them. He was their teacher. And he says, I will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, you guys understand the Holy Spirit because I have the Holy Spirit on me. If you look into the baptism of Jesus, when he gets baptized by John, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. And Jesus was a spirit-empowered. He was the precursor to what it looks like to be a Christian. Jesus was a spirit-empowered human. You go, well, he's God. Yes, he is. But there's a mystery here that Jesus was limited. Uh, he limited himself. We see this talked about in Philippians chapter 2. It's called the kenosis. It means the emptying. Something that God did when he incarnated himself is that he gave up some of his divine attributes so he could live and work as a human being. But he was a spirit-empowered human being. It happened to him. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in water. And it says it right there. And Jesus is saying, guys, you know, because the Holy Spirit lives with you now, because they're in the atmosphere, the environment of the Holy Spirit at all times when they were with Jesus. But he says, wait a second, there's going to be an upgrade. Instead of just being with the Holy Spirit, later the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's good. Because what that's saying is instead of hanging out with the muscle, you're the muscle. Instead of being like a little guy with Vinny and Guido on left and right, hey, you want a piece of me? Right? And then the minute those guys are gone, you get beat up. Think about that. Jesus' disciples, without Jesus, when he was gone, they immediately disintegrate into a pile of worthlessness. 
They're afraid. They're scared. They hide. They start to, Peter, Jesus gets taken and he immediately starts to curse and cuss. You know what I mean? And he denies Jesus. Like without Jesus standing right with them, the disciples weren't really that empowered, were they? And so Jesus says, this is what I'm talking about. Later, he's going to be inside of you. You're not with the muscle. You are the muscle. You don't, you're not with the power. The power is not around you. It doesn't happen to you. The power is now inside of you. This is what he's talking about. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is a powerful verse because Jesus prophetically is speaking of a time when people would not recognize and would not honor and would not regard the Father's gift, the good gift that he wanted to give. If God gives you a gift, it is not a bad gift. It is not a demonic gift. It is not a weird gift. It is a good gift. Jesus says the Father, if you ask him for a good gift, he's not going to give you a bad gift. He's going to give you a good gift. He'll give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him. How do you receive the Father's gift? You ask him for it and he gives it to you. You activate this gift of the Holy Spirit through faith by just believing simply what God said in his word, what Jesus himself said. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Then ask him for it. That's what Jesus is saying, and he's not going to give you something weird. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see theologically and biblically, and I know there's a lot of disagreement on this, so all I need you to understand is that all of my theology is correct and everyone else's is wrong. And as long as we're on the same page, we can move together in unity. No, um, I'm just teasing. The, the reality, though, is there's a lot of disagreement in theology um, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talk about the manifestation of speaking in tongues and all of that. I don't have time to go into the whole thing today. What I would ask you is to search this out and study this. And if you've been given a, uh, you know, a, a position or a thought of like, you know, well, that's the speaking in tongues thing is demonic or whatever. I want you to just open your eyes and your heart again to see um, what the word says and look at this. And then I have tons of research and all kinds of stuff. If you want to go deeper into this, we'd love to talk about it more. I might even make some videos to kind of give some background and some things. But I want to teach you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, from a charismatic or a Pentecostal perspective of what, what it means and what it's like. And I also want to say this, and I don't, again, it's not trying to make myself right. Um, I guarantee some of my theology is wrong about lots of stuff because I'm a human, right? And we only see in part. We don't, we don't have the whole thing. Nobody has all the answers or all the, all the truth except for Jesus. Um, but uh, the thing you need to understand is that the, around the world, the church is a spirit-empowered, baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence, with the exercise of the gift of speaking in tongues. 580 million people speak in tongues. Now, the place in the world where that is not the common thing is the Western world. It is the United States and Europe, where it's a post-Christian, it's, it's, we're in a, what we would call, uh, uh, sociologists and philosophers would call us a post-Christian nation. America's not a Christian nation, we're post-Christian. We have the trappings of the nominalism of Christian, Christianity, but where Christianity is growing and spreading around the world, people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even in different denominations, there's an openness because there's a, there's a need for and an expression of the power of God, okay? So let me give you some thoughts about this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we see it biblically, is something different. It's not the same thing as being saved, okay? It's different than being saved, and it's usually subsequent to salvation, though we see it happen at the same time some in the Bible and also in the world now anecdotally. We see uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, though, is like water baptism in that a person can believe in Jesus and actually receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, okay? And maybe some people are going to do that today. I believe that. Like, hey, I'm receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then that person should follow the commands of Christ and be water baptized, right? We believe in that. Water baptism is a command of Scripture. It's a command of Jesus. It's an important thing. And I don't have time to teach all about that. But then we also have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people get baptized in the Holy Spirit before they get water baptized. We'll read a passage about that. But most of the time, this is kind of how the progression goes. You put your faith in Jesus and you get water baptized and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And those three things are different events. Now, people say, well, what do you mean when I 
become a Christian, don't I have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, you do have the Holy Spirit. That is what lives inside of you. Like the Holy Spirit is a witness that we are saved when you receive Jesus, but the gift of the Father is something subsequent to that initial filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem with the theology that says you are immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit when you get saved. The problem with that is that that is exactly what we have in the United States of America, and we don't have the power. So what you typically find is those that believe and preach this doctrine or theology, that when you receive Jesus, you immediately get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that, that you have it all. The problem is nobody then speaks in tongues. They don't exercise that gift. But the Pentecostal and charismatic idea of this is actually there should be some sort of a sign, and it's not just speaking in tongues, it's all the spiritual gifts, the ability to prophesy. Now, I'll just tell you right now, when Bethany and I, uh, we go to different churches sometimes, and they'll ask us to prophesy, and we will literally, it's freaky. I'm just going to be honest with you. If somebody tells you, hey, tell us what God is saying about this person that you've never met before, how many of you think that's uncomfortable? <laughs> and I'm from the front row seats, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, but we go... Uh, we were in Mexico recently, and, and Pastor Jamie that was spoke here a few weeks ago, she said, I have all these leaders. I want you guys to prophesy. How many of you on the team were there in that moment? That was cool, wasn't it? Because as we began to connect with the Holy Spirit and we began to pray, uh, the Lord began to give us things, and we began to prophesy over people, and we were basically reading their mail, and we were speaking things that no one knew about, and we weren't embarrassing them. We were speaking encouragement to them, and God was speaking to them, exercising that gift of prophecy. That is, a, that is a gift that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just speaking in tongues, but that's something that we see. So it's subsequent to salvation. Now let me go through this biblically for you. And I know that we're creeping up on 1130 and people are getting hungry, but I hope that you're more hungry for the Holy Spirit. I, I hope that there's a hunger for, for the things of God. Okay. Now we won't go too far because the kids ministry will not exercise the Holy Spirit. They will come... <laughs> In Acts chapter 2, we see the believers in the upper room. These are people that are already believers in Jesus. They are Christians. They've been baptized, right? Uh, they are followers of Jesus. Jesus says, wait, they're in the upper room. And then we see that they're, they were all uh, in one Honda, right? They were in one accord. It's an old Christian joke. In the upper room. And, uh, and it's in that moment that there comes a sound like the, on the day of Pentecost, there comes a sound like a, a rushing mighty wind and their divided tongues of fire appear and they are filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in unknown languages. When we say speaking in tongues, it sounds really woo, right? And it is kind of woo, but what it means is speaking in languages. Tongues means language. And speaking in tongues is simply getting a heavenly language, one that you don't understand, but it is actually a language given to you by God. They begin to speak out. We see that uh, there's, they, they, they begin to kind of spill out. People are, are hearing this cacophony, this sound. They start hearing their own languages, even though they're from all over the world, all over the, the known world at that time. And they're like, how are we hearing these people speaking out in our own language? And they're telling us about the marvelous things of God. And in that moment, Peter steps up and he begins to preach. The same Peter that mere, uh, mere days before, weeks before, has denied Jesus, is cussing, and has basically screwed up his whole thing in his relationship with Jesus. The same guy, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up and he looks like Superman. And he begins to preach. And he preaches out of the book of Joel. And he connects the Old Testament. He says that the prophet Joel said in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon his sons and daughters and they will prophesy and they will see visions and dreams. And he connects these, these two things. And 3,000 people get saved and baptized. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about power. But these believers were waiting for something subsequent, okay? Acts chapter 8, the believers in Samaria, the deacon Philip, he goes to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. It's miraculous. There are miracles, healings. It's powerful. And we read this in the book of Acts. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. It's amazing. It's out of control. But then all of a sudden they realize they don't have the Holy Spirit. So these are people that believe in Jesus that are being baptized. And even miracles are taking place. And yet the Holy Spirit, they haven't got this gift yet. And they call for the apostles and the apostles come and they pray for them. They lay hands on them and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's, they don't, it doesn't specifically say in this passage that they spoke in other languages, but there is a thought from many scholars that there's a man there named Simon Magus who is a powerful sorcerer. He sees what the, what the apostles, when they laid their hands, he sees what happens to the people. There's something tangibly different about them. 
And so he goes, I want to buy that from you. I want to buy whatever that trick was you just did. So there was something powerful, something other uh, that he observed that was observable to him of what took place and changed. But the key thing to look at here is that these are already believers. So they weren't second-class Christians. They weren't second-class citizens. They simply had not been led into the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. Then in Acts chapter 10, we see a moment where uh, they, they are actually baptized in the Spirit before they are water baptized. This is Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10, and he calls, Peter comes and he preaches the gospel. And this is when God actually opens up the doors to his kingdom for the Gentiles. And the Jews at this time thought, well, it's only a Jewish thing. It's an Israel thing. And, and the, their eyes were open because as P Peter is preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles and they start speaking in tongues and they haven't even been water baptized yet. Probably because the Jews wouldn't put their hands on them because that would have been outside of order. So God was like, you're not going to put your hands on them. Watch what I'm going to do. And aren't you glad? Because if you're not Jewish, this is how we got in right here. This is good. And so the Holy Spirit comes on them right there at that moment. They begin to speak in other tongues. They begin to exercise this gift. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire and power. In Acts chapter 19, this is a fascinating passage of scripture. Uh, I'm going to jump to it really quick. Acts chapter 19 says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Say the word believer with me. Believer. Okay. What does that mean? It means they believe. They believe in Jesus. These are Christians. They are believers, okay? And then Paul asks them this interesting question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you're in some seminary here in the United States, what they're going to say is, yes, you did. You received Jesus. You received the Holy Spirit. Why does, Paul, why does the Apostle Paul ask these believers this question? Because they didn't. They didn't receive this gift that Jesus had promised, and Paul knew it. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And it says, no, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. What is the baptism of John? Water baptism. So they're baptized. These are good Christian people. They've been baptized, okay? Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. When you go into the ministry of John the Baptist, he would tell people, I baptize you with water for the repentance of sins, but the one who is coming, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Somebody say power. power. There's another baptism. I'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and power. And John was recognizing this, that Jesus was on his way. And it says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. A few years later, there are 30 to 60,000 Christians in a church led by Timothy, Paul's spiritual son, because somebody showed up with power. Come on, somebody. I'm just going to tell you right now, like we can get real smart. I have, you know, I have a, a big degree with word, you know, letters behind my name, and I can preach the very best and lay everything out for you and give it to you, but we don't have the power. We don't have it. What baptism? And so these are already believers, but Paul says, hey, there's something, the gift of the Father. God has a little bit more. In, in, in Cajun uh, culture, they have a thing called lanyap or lanyap. You ever heard of that? It's a little something extra, a little something more. There's a little something extra, a little something more that God wants to do in your life. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go into great depth on this, but typically the normative sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, normative being this is how it typically goes or works, is when somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak in other languages. And this is not something, they speak in tongues. It's a heavenly language. We see that manifested in three ways. One of them is privately you speak and you pray out. Number two is the gift of tongues or uh, and, and it's always paired with the gift of interpretation. And that's what we see publicly. If there's a tongue that is given, if somebody prays in the spirit, prays in tongues, there should be an interpretation because it needs to be done in order. God is not a God of chaos. It's not like he possesses people and you, ah, that's not what it is. It's always exercising control. The Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. Therefore, a person who is spirit-filled will exercise more control over themselves, not less. So we see that second expression of the Baptism of the Holy Spirit is manifested in speaking in tongues, is the gift of tongues and interpretation. And the third one 
is what is called xenoglossalia. Isn't that a weird term? And it just means basically that people hear their own language when people speak in tongues. And this happened in the book of Acts, and it still happens today. There was a man that uh, at some point was crossing a barrier, a border in the uh, Iron Curtain times in Soviet Russia, and he was in Eastern Europe, and he was doing ministry of some kind, and he pulled up to the, uh, the barrier, whatever, the border, and they were yelling, and they didn't understand their language, maybe Ukrainian or something. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He begins to, he jumps out of the car, begins to speak in tongues, and they all do this because he was speaking perfect Ukrainian or whatever language it was, and then they went through. So that still happens today. You go, what is, how, explain that to me. <laughs> I don't know. But see, guys, there's the thing. There's a part of our faith that is rational and a part that is not irrational, but non-rational. God is spirit, and he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. There's that marriage between the doctrine, the theology, the truth, the, the intellect, the knowing God in that way, and also this mysterious thing that we call the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's normative that people would speak in tongues. And around the entire world, this is what is taking place. But yet here in the Western world where we've kind of elevated th this intellect and, and idea of Christianity, it, it isn't seen as um, prevalently. But there are tons and tons of people like your pastor who speaks in tongues and who is filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was four years old. The, the kid's pastor said, who here wants to receive the gift of the Father? I said, I do. He put his hands on me and I began to speak. Isn't that weird sounding? I'm not possessed by the devil. Look, I can do it with my eyes closed. I can do it with my eyes open. It's the Holy Spirit praying through. It's an encouragement. There's so many wonderful things. But here's the thing. A lot of people have been taught, well, some people can do that. Some people can get that, but not everybody. I'm not going to argue with that. Here's what I'll say. I believe scripturally when Paul says not everyone speaks in a tongue, that he's speaking about the particular prophetic, the gift in church of tongues and interpretation. But he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you, and I wish that all people would pray in tongues. I believe that you can. I believe that if you listen to what Jesus is saying, that everyone can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts can be evidenced in your life, including speaking in tongues, including praying in your spirit. And you might go, well, man, that's weird. And like, why would I do that? And I'm just telling you, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you actually exercise that gift, it is one of the most powerful, incredible, amazing gifts to use as a Christian. Because when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit can pray through you. It's an encouragement very powerful. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We're not going to do a big service today. I know we're running late on time, but I want to give you three things that we see biblically about how to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and I, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you um, that if you want this, get it. Because I don't want to preach a message where we're like, abstractly, theoretically, someone could at some time get this. You can get it today because all you have to do is ask, okay? And you can have somebody lay hands on you. Let me teach you this real quick. Here's how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We ask. Okay, Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, ask the Father who will give you the gift. Not going to give you a serpent, not going to give you a stone. He's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we wait. Um, I didn't know this, but actually in the Pentecostal movement earlier in, this 20, in the 20th century, they didn't really know that people could lay hands on each other to pray. They didn't catch that. And so they would do this thing called tarrying. They would just wait. They would just pray. So I've heard all these stories about these old-time saints, old-timey saints, right? In these rooms, just seeking God, worshiping, praying, and all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit would come and people would begin to speak in tongues. No one had laid hands, but they would just begin to, to speak in tongues, to prophesy. There was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And actually, all of you are here because of that, because our whole movement comes out of this latter rain movement, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of these old-timey saints that were just seeking God and worship and prayer. And they said, Lord, if you did it back then, why isn't it happening now? And it came out of these revivals. And so just waiting, you can ask God for the gift. Like today, if you're like, well, I don't want somebody to pray for me, but I, I want it. Well, go home and just wait on the Lord and ask him, Lord, give me this gift of the Holy Spirit and then move in faith and activate. And then the third way is just to have someone lay hands on you. And that sounds really religious, but it just means somebody puts their hand on you and prays for you, Okay. When I have the honor and privilege of praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't do anything. It's not like any power from me, but there's something about the laying on of hands that there's an impartation of what is in me can be in you. What is on me can be on you. And that laying on of hands, there's a transference that happens. 
and, and God activates that. And so like Paul, when he says, hey guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we've been baptized by John. He says, okay, let's lay hands on you. And he lays hands on them and then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. So this is how we can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So ask, we're gonna pray that prayer to ask God. Number two, you can wait, you can go home, you can pray about this, you can think about it, you can do that. Or you can ask somebody to lay hands on you. Uh, we have a prayer team over there. Um, I don't know, is there any like, um, like wild and crazy uh, or but like not that weird Pentecostals that would pray for somebody? Okay. Um, but also at first Sunday, every single month at first Sunday, we have an opportunity to, to learn about this and to get prayer and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here's the payoff thing. Here, here it is. And let's go beat the Baptist to the best restaurants in Jesus' name. Um, thank you for laughing. I just, it's my go-to joke. It's like my, it's like the one pitch, you know. You don't have the whole thing if you don't have the power. You go, well, does that mean I'm not really a Christian? No, not at all. You can go to heaven when you die. You can, you could belong to Jesus and the Holy Spirit can speak to you and why would you not want everything that God wants to give you? Why would you not activate everything God wants to give you? There is a difference. There is something about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire that transforms your life and you get boldness to witness and the power to, to beat sin. Does that mean you never sin? No, it doesn't make you a superhuman. It, 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 it's God empowering you to be and do what he's called you to do. And so I just want to leave you with that in humility, and you go, well, I don't agree with your theology. That's okay. We can talk about it more. And guess what? If you don't want that, it doesn't mean you're kicked out of the church. Any, nothing. This is all simply me telling you, hey guys, this is, this is what I see in scripture. This is the, the, the relationship that I have with God. I don't want to be up here, not offer you everything that God has for you. Okay. And so, but if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my goodness, don't wait, Like, go for it. Come on, go for it. Let's lift up our hands right now. Maybe you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now. Let's do it. What did Jesus say? He said, ask the Father for his gift. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Right now, Lord, we just open our hearts and our minds to you. We repent of potentially, Lord, just closing off because we think that it's weird or irrational. But Lord, you said this gift is good. This gift is not wrong. It's not something weird. It's not something that's out of control. Jesus, you wanted to give us this baptism of fire, this baptism of power, so we could go proclaim the gospel, so we could live as spirit-empowered people. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you right now for the gift of the Father. Holy Spirit, come right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Just begin to ask the Lord to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, we receive your baptism Lord, we open our hearts and minds to all that you want to do and all that you want to accomplish in and through us. In Jesus' name. Today, before we go, is there anybody here, everybody can bow their heads and close their eyes, that wants to receive Jesus? Put your faith in Christ for the first time. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? You want to be a follower of Jesus? Thank you. Anybody in this place that wants to be a follower of Jesus? Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I confess my sin to you any time that I've not lived up to your perfect standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my heart and give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.